Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua this morning, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. A few years back, I was at the local Y trying out the Whirlpool. And an older gentleman slipped into the Whirlpool beside me and began to have a conversation. This conversation quickly turned in the way of complaint. He was giving me his laundry list of things that were wrong with our country and the world in general. Things like foreign policy miscues, the poor state of the economy, the lack of good jobs, and the general decline of moral character in our country. And he looked at me and he said, Man, I feel sorry for you. This sentiment is not uncommon for me to hear. I feel sorry for you. This world is falling apart. Things used to be so much better, but the future looks so bleak. Any of you who are 40 and under, who have children, I feel so sorry for you because of the direction that things are going. Unfortunately, this pessimistic view of the future has found its way into the church and is even has been propagated by some teachings in the church. I mean, who hasn't heard something along the lines of, you know, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes back. So just hold on. Over the last year and a half, this feeling has only increased and gained. The pandemic has created more fracture than we could have imagined. Every time you turn on the news, there seems to be stories of humanitarian, ecological, and political crises. There's a sense that the world is heading towards greater and greater chaos, and there's nothing to do but to hold on until the bleak end. Yet the struggle has not just been out there in the world, just on the news for us to turn on and see, but we have experienced it in our own lives. And In the life of our church, we've had more than our fair share of untimely deaths from COVID, from cancer, and from cardiac arrest over the last year and a half. The surge in the coronavirus has derailed many of our plans and what we were going to do this fall. We thought that we were out of the woods, as it were, and now there seems to only be uncertainty about what is to come. And within our body... There's a heaviness, a weariness that things are going downhill. That's the cry of our heart. (laughs) Don't worry, good news is coming. Ah, that was planned perfectly. Thank you. In the back. This morning... I want to present to you a different view of the future. I want to challenge the thought that things are only going to get harder. I want to show you from the Word of God that we, of all people, should be the most hopeful for the future. In the midst of hardships, we should be the ones who are rejoicing in better days to come. 
For the word of God would say to us, don't listen to the pessimism of today's culture. Every generation has its challenges that it must face. But in the end, our future is not defeat. It is victory. As the unfolding of time occurs, of course, there will be ups and downs. There will be ebbs and flows. But ever do the people of God have a hope of a brighter day. In our text for this morning, we are given great hope. For we will see that when the people of God are faced with insurmountable odds, God sovereignly provides the victory so that His people will most surely overcome. So hear now the word of the Lord, Joshua chapter 11, starting in verse 1. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard this, he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Ekshaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah south of Chimareth, and in the lowland, and Nephroth Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Maram, to fight against Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Miram, And fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. Who struck them and chased them as far as great Sidon. And Mizraphoth Maim. And eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until he left none remaining. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him. He hamstrung their horses. And burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor. And struck its king with the sword. For Hazor formerly was the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck with the sword all who were in it. Devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed. And he burned Hazor with fire. And all the cities of those kings. And all their kings Joshua captured. And struck them with the edge of the sword. Devoting them to destruction. Just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded. But none of the cities that stood on mounds did Israel burn, except Hazor alone that Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock and the people of Israel took for their plunder. But every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them. And they did not leave any who breathed, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant. So Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone. Of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we come to you now, a people who know that we do not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
And so we come before you this day to be fed, to be encouraged, to be reminded yet again of the great hope that we have in our Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, would you cause faith to arise in your people? Would you call the lost into the light of the grace of your gospel? And oh God, would you bless the preaching and the hearing of your word by the power of your spirit? We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. Our text for this morning begins with the words, when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard this. When he heard this. And we were kind of jumping into this text midstream. And so we need to ask, well, what did Jabin, the king of Hazor, hear? What caused him to take action as he did? Well, we see that he heard of Israel. And he heard of the great victories that Israel was gaining over the nations around them. He heard that Israel had been delivered out of Egypt, that the Lord had done a great work in saving the people of Israel out of the greatest nation on earth. He heard that Israel had defeated Jericho, that they had crossed the Jordan River and came to the very center and heart of Canaan and destroyed the city that was at the very center of power. He heard that Israel overtook southern Canaan And that she had now turned her vision towards the territory in the north, which was his kingdom. This is what he heard, that God had blessed the people of Israel with strength and that the God of the universe was fighting on the side of these people. So what does he do? Well, he does what any wise king would do. He gets ready for battle. He knows that he is dealing with more than a motley band of nomads. And so he unites cities near and far to band together to form a confederation that will stand against the impending threat of Israel. In fact, in verse 4, this military force is described as a great horde in number like the sand that is on the seashore. This force was great in number. But it also had superior technology. The text tells us that these Canaanites had very many horses and chariots. The chariots of this period would have provided a huge advantage in battle against those who were on foot. Think of it like they had tanks and Israel only had horses. They had a great technological advantage. The odds against Israel seem insurmountable. The northern confederation led by Jabin had more power, they had more people, and they had better technology. And God commanded Joshua to attack. It seems that the Lord is always putting His people in situations like this, in these desperate situations. Of course, we remember the Israelites who were led to the shore of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army hot in pursuit, coming to destroy them. And they would have been destroyed if the Lord had not parted the Red Sea and saved them. We remember David facing the battle against a seasoned warrior, even a giant named Goliath. 
We remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who faced the fires of Nebuchadnezzar. And we remember Daniel who would have been devoured if the Lord had not closed the mouths of lions. And of course, we are drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ hanged upon the cross in weakness and humility, alone and forsaken, smitten by God and afflicted as the Word of God says. And He went into the grave seemingly defeated. But then on the third day, God did what God has done throughout history. He brought life where there was death. And He raised up His Son Jesus Christ and death was defeated. You see, God does not allow His people to be overcome. He did not let the insurmountable odds overtake His purposes. Rather, He leads His people into these situations to show off His sovereign power to save. If the Lord desired, He could have sent a plague to decimate Hazor. He could have sent an earthquake if he desired to do so. He could have made the various fiefdoms and kingdoms of this northern confederation begin to fight with each other and make it so that it was an easy force to take out for Israel. But rather, God in His sovereignty allowed a technologically advanced army to assemble in mass against His people so that the whole world would see that God had placed His people in an impossible situation. He sovereignly planned a situation where His people were placed in an impossible place so that He might show forth His saving power. And Christian... Do you not see that it is the Lord's design and purpose to bring you to the point of absolute weakness so that He might save you? Do you not see that He leads His people to the edge of the Red Sea, as it were, to display His power? Do you not see that He brings hardships and struggles, conflict and tension, disease and death to show forth the power that He has to save you even from death itself through His Son, Jesus Christ? You see, God's design and purpose is to give us insurmountable odds so that when the victory is won, He receives the glory. And if we who are facing such hardship, would overcome. We must begin by trusting His sovereign purposes to glorify His name. So what happens then to the people of God led into this impossible situation? Well, verse 6 of your text says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow at this time, I will give over all of them slain to Israel. The Lord leads his people into this impossible situation. And then he says to them, he makes a promise to them. The larger numbers, the advanced technology will not win the day. For the Lord God of hosts is fighting for you. You cannot lose. Here's a promise. It's rooted in the divine sovereignty of the Lord. Before the battle begins, the Lord tells Joshua that the battle is won because the Lord will win the battle. 
This has been God's promise to His people throughout the conquest. Even as we read in Deuteronomy 3, You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. It's a done deal. There's no denying what the Lord has ordained. You see, we have to understand, this is not a prediction. Our God does not predict the future. The Lord God ordains the future. He knows for certain that Jabin and the northern confederacy will be defeated because he has planned it and he will cause it to happen. The Lord is in control of all things. Even as Psalm 135 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. And it pleased the Lord to defeat Jabin, king of Hazor. The people of God overcome by God's sovereign hand of power. But what does the people of God, what do the people of God do in response? Does he say, well, that's great. Now let's sit back and enjoy the show. God is in control. So why do we have to do anything? We can just sit and watch the Lord win the victory for us. Is this what Joshua does? Well, absolutely not. In verses 7 through 8, we read the response that the people of God have to the promise that the Lord will fight on their behalf. It says, So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Maram and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. You see, the promise of the Lord's sovereignty does not freeze the people of God into inaction. Rather, the promise that Hazor would be defeated spurred Joshua into action. Jabin had confidence in his numbers and technology, but Israel had confidence in their God. And they did not wait. They said in their hearts, if God is for us, who can be against us? And they attacked Jabin. You see, God's control of all things frees His people to bold action rather than freezing them into inaction. The promise of certain victory should encourage us, encourage God's people that we can run into the battle against a superior force because we know that God has won the day. We must be willing to take God's promises of salvation to the bank to put Him to the test with our very lives. This is how the people of God overcome. We trust God's sovereign promises. We rest our very lives upon the certainty that God has ordained our victory in Jesus Christ. I know that the world has landed some heavy blows. I know you feel like you're being attacked on every side. And things are continuing to grow worse and worse. You feel alienated from friends. You feel tension with family. You feel overcome with grief and loss. You feel overwhelmed by political forces that are beyond your control. It seems that all is spiraling down into chaos. But Christian, God is in control. And He has promised His people victory. He has promised us salvation. The future is not darkness, it is light. 
It is not defeat. It is not disappointment. For our God is in control. Our God is directing history. And our God has won the victory through Jesus Christ. For all who are in Jesus, the victory has been won. Conflict, war, and strife. Pain, sadness, and frustration. Sin, disease, and death. These enemies have all been defeated. For on the cross, Jesus declared, It is finished. And when He rose from the dead, He put our enemies to death. And when He ascended on high, He led a great host of captives behind Him. And to all those who flee to Jesus in faith, who trust their life, and their life everlasting to His sovereign promise, His victory, His blood, then you will be saved. For God has ordained the salvation of His people even before the foundation of the world. It's a victory that has been won. And now all that is left for us to do is to go into this world boldly and live out that victory. To fight against the foe. That has already been defeated. You see, even as Psalm 97 says, the Lord reigns. God is sovereign. He has a purpose. He has made a promise. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. This is how we will overcome the hardship of our day. We trust our impossible situation to God's sovereign power. We trust God's sovereign promises for our salvation. And third, we overcome by trusting that God will leave nothing undone through the power of His Savior. In verses 10 through 15 of our text, we read of how the battle played out. And in summary, the Israelites achieve an overwhelming victory against Jabin. They burn Hazor to the ground. They destroy the chariots. And they take all the surrounding cities as well. And then in verse 15, we read this. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded. See, the Lord had commanded Moses to take the people of Israel into the land of Canaan. But they refused to go in in the first generation. And so the Lord allowed the people of Israel to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then He raised up a new generation and placed them under the leadership of Joshua. And under Joshua, they would enter into the land of Canaan and receive the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. And Joshua did all that the Lord called him to do. He led the armies of the Lord to accomplish an impossible task. As he followed the promises of God, he found that each time the Lord God Almighty showed himself mighty to save. Without the Lord, the conquest of Canaan would have been foolhardy. But with God, the victory was certain. The leadership of Joshua was designed by God to point forward to the coming saving work of Jesus Christ. For both shared the same root of their name, which is God saves. 
The Lord had promised that He would send a deliverer to His people that would deliver them from their enemies. And Joshua served as a partial fulfillment of that promise. He, as the leader of God's armies, subdued God's enemies and provided for the people of Israel a place of rest, even the land of Canaan. But the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise did not come until the advent of Jesus Christ. For He is the true Savior who has defeated all of our enemies. He is the one who has left nothing undone of all that God has commanded and promised. For in Christ, the ultimate enemies of sin and death have been defeated forever. Therefore, those who are in Christ have won the ultimate victory. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, If God is for us, who can be against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, because of Christ's victory on our behalf, we are more than conquerors. We overcome the hardships of this world by trusting that Jesus Christ has left nothing undone. That He is the sovereign Savior that God has promised. For He lived a perfect life on our behalf. We could not do it, but He fulfilled the law completely in His life. Then He went to the cross and poured out His blood to cover over and pay for our sin. He went into the grave to provide for us deliverance from death. And He rose from the dead to free us from death itself and to secure for us life evermore. And then He ascended into heaven and He now reigns over all things. And one day, He will return and He will give to His people the true land of promise. A land where there is no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more loss, no more death. Nothing that God has promised His people will be left undone because Jesus Christ has accomplished it all. Even as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. To overcome the hardships of this world, we cannot trust in ourselves. We must trust in the sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ alone. For He has left nothing of our salvation undone. So why feel sorry for the next generation? Why fear what the future holds? Of course, there will be hardships and struggles ahead. Yes, there will be uncertainty. But ultimately, we know to whom the victory belongs. We know that we cannot fail and we will not be overcome. If our hope and our security 
Our salvation was found in the things of this world. And sure, yeah, we need to worry. We need to track everything that's going on in the news. And we need to keep score to make sure that our future is secure. But our trust, our faith is not in the things of this world, but is in our Savior Jesus Christ, who has already won the victory on our behalf. Our hope is in the Lord, and therefore we need not worry, for our great King has already won the victory. So trust in God's purposes, trust in God's promises, and trust in the Savior of God's people, the Lord Jesus Christ. For while a dark veil has been cast over this earth, we go forward in hope because we know that a new day is dawning. We know that His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. For there will be a day of light and of joy and of life everlasting. And all of those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will be more than conquerors. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, how we need the hope and the light of Your Word. For we are in the midst of great hardship and struggle. And yet we know that in the midst of the rain, that there is a rainbow. And that this rainbow is a promise that we can trace through times of struggle that will point us to your great promises of salvation. And so, O oh God, we look to your Son, Jesus Christ. For we know through Him we have the victory. We pray, O oh God, that You would send us forth into this world. That we would not be those who complain of a future and of a present that is filled with struggles and hardships. But in the world that's filled with complaint, that we would be those who would speak words of hope and of salvation and of a certain victory to come. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen.